Kathleen is afraid that you think she's nuts for doing Christmas songs. And I want to assure you, Kathleen, that's not why we think you're nuts. <laughs> I hope we fixed our problem this week. We got a, a slightly better chord, so um, hopefully we're going to be working uh, well. Yeah, all right, all right, well. We're going to need somebody like Moses to hold up their arms during this message to make sure that the screen doesn't go on and off. All right, well, we're beginning the second part of our study on who Jesus was, Christ as the mediator. This is in our basic Christianity series. If you're visiting, we are going over the basic truths of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, There is so much confusion today. So many voices today, so many venues where people can share their own personal beliefs about Jesus, and as a result, there's a lot of wrong theology out there. Theology is a study of God. There is a lot of, there is a lot of misunderstandings and misstatements about the Bible. We have this idea today that everyone's interpretation of the scripture is equally valid and is equally true. And we have to erase that idea. We don't do that in any other field of study. We certainly don't do that when it comes to uh, mechanic, being a mechanic. We don't say that there are all these different ways that a car engine works. It runs based upon principles of engineering. And we have textbooks for nursing, we have textbooks for surgical, med uh, med surgery and medical surgery. We have all kinds of textbooks that give us a way that things must be handled, a way that things must be done. But for some reason, we have wrongfully assumed that the Bible can be handed however we want to handle it. That we can read it however we want to read it. And I can tell you, if you were going in to have surgery done on your body, and you heard that the doctor who was about to cut you open didn't believe all that stuff that he learned in medical school, you would not let him open you up. Because you'd be afraid you'd lose your life. And yet, the Bible is far more serious than merely the losing of your life. If we don't understand the word of God truly, we will lose our souls. Note that at the foundation of your faith, before Jesus ascended unto the Father to intercede on the behalf of his elect, that he gave a commission to his disciples. And it was this, it was to go and make more disciples. That word disciple means learner. And if you're a Christian, right at the outset of the beginning of the Christian church, Jesus puts a premium on learning. It's why here in the West, here in America, you all can read and write for millennia. The world did not prize reading and writing as something that everyone needed to be able to do. But here in the 21st century, reading and writing, we believe, is basic. It is a fundamental right that we are to all have as uh, human beings, and especially as citizens of the United States, that we learn that we are to be given education and we learn how to read and write. But that all stems from a belief that Christians are to be learners. And learners for themselves. The goal here is to have unity of mind. And so we're going over this basic Christianity series so that we might be united in mind. Today's sermon is entitled, More Than a Man, the Person of Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about the mediator. A mediator is a go-between, two parties, to reconcile them together. The two parties in this case are man and God. The reason why they are not reconciled, why they are at enmity, is because of their sin. They are separated, and man has been separated from God by his and her sin. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
But if we're going to have community with God, we have to have community with God and reconciliation with God on his terms and not on our own. None of us will go to God on our own standing. We must go through God's mediator, and that is Christ Jesus alone. Today I want to learn a little bit more. I want us to learn a little bit more about who this person was and why he is the only mediator between God and man. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 21, asks this. Who is the Redeemer of God's elect? The answer, the only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who, being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was, and continueth to be, God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Let's pray. God, you knew that when you began to reveal yourself to us, finite minds revealing the infinite being, that our finite minds would not be able to grasp the full mystery of God. And so there are times where, Lord, especially in the case of our sermon this morning, the topic this morning of the incarnation of Jesus, how God of God, eternal with the Father, the exact imprint of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to, to, to be grasped, but emptied himself to become a man that in the person, the one person of Jesus Christ, there are two distinct natures, true God of God and true man of man. That in everything that it means to be God, we may say about Jesus, he is son, but he is eternally begotten of the father. There was never a time where the son was not your word declares that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. So Jesus is God and this is a mystery how it is that you are one in essence and three in person, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. You do not ask us to understand that, you ask us, you command us, you demand us to receive it and to accept it. We will never comprehend your being, but we must apprehend your being. We must acknowledge what you say about yourselves and shut up our mouth, fall to our faces and worship you with the glory and reverence that only you deserve. And here we are again at the incarnation, not understanding also how the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What a wonderful thing it is to call our God, Emmanuel, God with us. But you didn't just come down to earth to flaunt your glory. You came to earth as a man in your humility and you were glorified on a cross. There's no religion, there's no God like you. There is no God who dies for his people. Every other God commands worship without sacrifice. And you, God, died as our sacrifice. And so we want to praise you this morning, God. That our God has died for us. We worship a God who does not ask of us what he has not already given. Jesus came and lived the perfect life as a human being. He suffered like we suffered. You suffered, you went uh, to the cross. You knew what it was like to be rejected. We've been rejected in our relationships. We've been mistreated. We've been spat on. You know what it is to sympathize with our weaknesses. You learned. You grew in knowledge and in wisdom. You were, were mistreated. You got stomach aches. All of the things of what it means to be a human yet without sin. And we praise you that you would come and do that on our behalf. You are our Lord and our God. Jesus, we proclaim you the great author of our salvation this morning. 
My prayer, Lord, is that you would open up the hearts of every man, woman, and child in this auditorium this morning that has rejected you, that has believed a false message about Jesus, that has left you at simply being a carpenter's son. You are the son of God. You are the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. And Lord, it is my prayer that you will open up the eyes, that the scales will be removed and the hard hearts of stone will be broken and made into hearts of flesh by your Holy Spirit. Work here today, Holy Spirit, to point us all to the glory of the grandson of God, the eternal God and Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Who was Jesus? The world asks a slightly different question than the church asks. You know, the word church just means the people of God. We, we tend to think of the church as a building, but the church is a people of God. You are the church. If, you, if we were to find out uh, tomorrow morning that our church had been blown away by a tornado or burnt down or something like that, uh, we would still exist. The church would still exist. There would still be a Northwest Baptist church. We wouldn't have an auditorium. We'd have to find the person with the biggest home and go stay there. Or we'd meet outside with tents. But, but we're the church. And so the church asked the question, who is the redeemer of the elect? Who is God's redeemer of the elect? That's a question asked by Christians for Christians. But the world asked the question, who was Jesus? You see, the church begins with a theology from above, a grand theology. What God has given to us, and we accept that, what God has told to us. But the world begins on the ground, from the bottom up. Who was Jesus? Notice the past tense of the verb, was because in their mind, Jesus has gone the way of all flesh, dead. And the omission of the messianic title, Christ, which is the Greek word anointed. And that anointing was by God at Jesus' baptism. It was foreordained from before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would be God's mediator. But the world asks the question, who was Jesus? And it shows that the world looks... For an entirely different outcome in their study of who Jesus is and who the church hopes to find. We look for a redeemer, but the world looks for a man. How does the world answer this question? There's various ways that the world answers this question. You probably heard some of them just by watching uh, own network is it own or is it oprah which one is the name is it the same network can, can i just tell you something oprah's a nice woman don't listen to her theology okay and if she didn't have such an important influence on this world she wouldn't have her own network first and foremost i wouldn't be saying it unfortunately people look to her for their spiritual advice be careful with what you watch on Christian TV. There are men, there are wolves in sheep clothing who are looking to devour the flock. They want to, they want to undermine your understanding of Jesus Christ. They want to paint a picture of God who is like a genie who's there to grant all your wishes. That if you believe in God, you're going to be rich. You're going to get thin. Let me tell you, I believe in God. And uh, I'm just saying. Okay, that's not why I signed up. I signed up for LA Fitness for that. Be careful what your quote-unquote Christian uncle thinks. Who's quasi-philosophical but really just drinks too much. You see, what we have to ask the question is, we have to answer this question, what does the Bible teach us? But the world answers the question, who is Jesus? They answer it like this. Uh, Jesus was a great man whose life and teachings changed the world. 
By the way, that's true. That much is true. Or they say something like this. They say, like Siddhartha Gautama before him, that, that's Buddha. Like Siddhartha Gautama before him, Jesus reached enlightenment and is an example for all those who seek to be one with the universe. Or Jesus was a great moral teacher. You know, even in the bastions of higher learning and the liberal schools who do not take Jesus as the Christ, they love Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. It's their favorite teaching. Should be the most terrifying teaching to them because it reveals that God not only looks on the outside, but he's going to judge your heart. And what every person who with a a sensitive spirit and who has the, the Holy Spirit in them, when they read the Sermon on the Mount, they ought to run weeping to the cross. But Jesus was a teacher whose followers spread the legend that he was God. A lot of people say now that because the Gospels were written so far after uh, Jesus, they were written only about 30 to 40 years after Jesus ascended unto the Father, that his disciples were missing him and they turned him into a legend because this happens from time to time. Uh, others say that Jesus' miracles, his virgin conception... His resurrection must all be abandoned in light of what we now know about the world through the discoveries of modern science. I mean, after all, do we really believe that a virgin girl, and by the way, the idea that virgin simply meant young girl, which it did, but it clearly means that she hadn't laid with a man, which was the presupposition of a young woman. You see, the young women in those days weren't like the young women of this day. And the young boys of this day were teaching our young people to have sex at earlier and earlier ages. Which, by the way, is still a crime in the state of Florida. Under the age of 18, it is illegal to have sexual intercourse. Even if both of them are under the age of 18. We just don't enforce it because we encourage it as a society. We want our children to explore it. But when the Bible says that Mary was a virgin and she was a young woman, the assumption was, A, that she was not having sex, and B, it is clear that she wasn't having sex since she says to him, how is this possible? I've never been with a man. And we have to get rid of this idea today, says the world, that the miracles of Jesus, that he rose from the dead, because we have modern science and we know, we know that those things don't happen. By the way, you don't know that those things don't happen. Or we say that Jesus' teachings were all about love. Oh, doesn't that sound good? I have somebody in my life, my family's going to start to laugh when they hear this, but I have somebody in my life who, whenever we begin to talk about this, we, she, she immediately says, no, Jesus is all about love. Jesus was all about love. What does she mean? She means he didn't condemn people, so we shouldn't condemn homosexual behavior, transgender persons, or any other type of person that we disagree with. I agree we shouldn't mistreat those people. But the world uses the word condemn in a very different way than we do. To say that something is a sin is not to condemn the person. It is to acknowledge the truth. <clears throat> Or we say the spirit of the Son of God lived in Jesus, a mere man. But those who seek knowledge and understanding can have the spirit of the Son of God come upon them too. Or we say, as one of my professors said, Jesus was a politician who created the church as an antithesis to the corrupt governments of mankind. Or we hear somebody say Jesus was like King Arthur or Achilles in Robin Hood. The man inspired the lore and the lore inspires us all. Or the world says Jesus was a legend. He is the creation of the church to impose its will on the world to suppress sexuality and creativity, and to suppress scientific advancement, all by the church. Jesus asked his disciples a very powerful question. Yeah, men say a lot of nice things about me. 
Now think about the things when Jesus asked his disciples, what do men say about me? They said some really awesome things about him. They said, you're the reincarnation of John the Baptist, or you're like Elijah. Or you're like one of the prophets. Satan will tell you the most beautiful thing about Jesus if it keeps you from acknowledging him as true God of God and true man of man. All of these things, you notice, have this one theme, that Jesus is a nice, was a nice, great, smart, intelligent person. And by the way, if you haven't seen the paintings, he was so good looking. I mean, look at that picture. That dude is good looking. He looks as good as Kenny Loggins does. But is that who Jesus was and is? If you have your Bibles, turning them to Matthew 13, 53 through 58. Jesus has just finished preaching parables and we, we like to say that the word parable is a it is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's not a bad definition, but it much like all of the things the world says about Jesus, it's not the whole truth and it's not even the main truth. And if you go back and you look at the parables of Jesus, Jesus is teaching to men, women and children the mystery of the kingdom of God. These are Jewish people. They know what it is to be oppressed. Their entire history went from the glory of the Davidic and Solomonic kingdoms to the utter destruction of Assyria, Babylon, and to the relative peace they experienced nevertheless as oppressed in Persia. They are now suppressed by the Romans. They are constantly being extorted by even their own brothers and sisters who promised the Roman emperor, emperors that they would be able to bring back a greater tax. They have the true understanding of what it means to hope for a Messiah, for the kingdom to come. And Jesus teaches parables about the kingdom that do not correspond with the hope of the kingdom come. The, the hope is that because Messiah, who is the anointed one, because the king has come, because Christ has come, that now Rome will be conquered, they will be freed, and God will establish his everlasting kingdom in Jesus Christ here and now. And he says it about himself, by the way. You know, all those pictures about Jesus and his looks, Scripture tells us that he had no, nothing in his appearance that made anyone want to love him or to look upon him. There's nothing about his life. He was born in a manger. You know what a manger is? It's a trough where animals eat their food. You ever seen what, you ever seen what a pig trough or an animal trough looks like? Those of you who are from Miami and you've never been to a farm, let me tell you. You know what it looks like? It's full of slobber. It's disgusting. He was born in a manger, born in a know-nothing town of Nazareth, and he's a carpenter's son. And he's teaching not only that the kingdom of God is not what you thought it was, but that he is the one who brought it. It says, when Jesus had finished teaching these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So Jesus was teaching parables, and now he's probably teaching the same parables in their synagogue. It says, 
so that they were astonished. And said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? That's not Judas who betrays him. It is James who wrote the book of James. And are not all his sisters with us. So by the way, the idea that Jesus didn't have brothers and sisters, Mary was not a perpetual virgin. She had brothers. Jesus, excuse me, the, the Bible tells us that, that Joseph did not lay with Mary until she gave birth. Meaning he did after she did. I don't know why we get this idea that God hasn't sanctified sex. God loves sex. But he loves sex in marriage and not outside of it. Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The word prophet there is interpreted from the mindset of what Jews understood a prophet to be. Prophets were not sorcerers with a crystal ball telling you your future for a mere couple of coins. They pointed you back to God's will. They pointed you to the word of God. That was the role of the prophet. It wasn't to foretell the future. It was to warn that if you did not follow God's commands... As, as my professor and, and Johann's professor says, the whole point of every prophet was to point them back to the Deuteronomic law to show how they should live and serve God in the new promised land. And so Jesus is a prophet. He's telling them how you should live, how you will please God. But nevertheless, they didn't listen. I want to take a look at this passage and just unpack it. Here, and see what it means for us this morning. I want to bring a couple of the thoughts to the forefront of your mind. First thing is we notice is that it says they were astonished. The world is astonished by Jesus. That word there in the Greek literally means that they were so taken aback that they, they almost couldn't stand. It was just overwhelming about who Jesus was. But do not be impressed with that. Because as you might think, you might think that people began to shower him with gifts, but that's not what happens. And it's not what the world does today at the name of Jesus. There is recoiling at the name of Jesus. That's why you don't mention him on your Facebook because you don't want to lose one of your 15,000 friends. Who, by the way, they're not really your friend. But they were astonished. The person, the teaching, the works, and the impact that Jesus was making on the world was nothing short of astonishing. But we cannot stand still with our mouths agape, looking at Jesus, being astonished. It's not enough to be impressed with him this morning. Jesus hasn't called you to stand there and just look at him. They were astonished. We have to accept the word of the message of the gospel and trust totally in this man with our lives, with our hearts, with our souls. The Bible does not tell us to be astounded with Jesus. It tells us to put our trust in him. What type of trust? It means to give him our lives it means to give up our lives 
It means to love him so much that by comparison with all other loves in our life, it seems like hate. Jesus does not want you to be astounded in him. He wants you to trust him, to love him, to be his disciple, to see him, to adore him. It is not enough to be astounded. When John wrote his gospel, he said this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. These signs were amazing signs. And in the book of John, John reveals so many things about Jesus, so many of the amazing things that Jesus did. They're astounding, but that wasn't it. It wasn't to be impressed with him. He said that these signs were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That means that you will believe the message that the apostles told about him and that the word of God through the Old Testament told about him and you would believe it all wholeheartedly and give your heart and your life to him. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If all you are this morning is astounded and impressed with Jesus, you're not saved. You must believe. And that belief is more than a mental belief. It is a trust. It is, I will walk, I will obey him when things are great and when things are terrible and when doubt creeps in and when I'm so sure I will trust on him and on him alone based upon the message of the word of God. Paul says to the church at Corinth, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. Gospel is the word euangelion, and it means a, a heralding good news. There's good news. There's a message. What's that message? That Jesus has come and conquered death. That he's saved you from your sins. I would remind you, brothers, and in the Bible when it uses the word brothers, it means brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul says, listen, it's not enough that you came down an aisle, but that you are holding fast to what? A message. What is the message? The message of the word of God. It's not the message of your professor. It's not the message of your grandmother. It's not the message of Oprah or the president. It is the message of the apostles that we have for us in the word of God. And you can say many, many nice things about Jesus Christ. And you can believe really profound, astounding things about Jesus Christ and go right to hell if you do not believe the message of the book. Well, I like some of it, but not all of it. It is all or nothing. All or nothing. They were astonished. They asked another question. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not his mother, or excuse me, is not this the carpenter's son? They, they acknowledged that Jesus did some amazing things. Even his greatest enemies did. You know what they said about him? He has a devil in him. Some said he was a magician. Some of the later writers who were Greek said he was a magician, like other magicians, like he was David Copperfield. Jesus didn't come to do miracles. He came to preach, he said. 
to preach the good news. That you might believe in him. Is this not the carpenter's son, they asked? Let me read some passages to answer this question. At Jesus' baptism, Matthew says this, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. When Jesus and the disciples, John and Peter, went to the top of the mountain of transfiguration, it says that while he was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. That word overshadow is a very important word in the New Testament because it carries with it the understanding of creation. This is God. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. Whenever you hear clouds and voices from clouds, God. Note that that's God. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to what it says right next. Listen to him. Listen to some of him or listen to all of him. Listen to all of him. John said that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. How could He be Joseph's son if He existed before Joseph did? How could He be Joseph's son if Joseph wouldn't have existed had he not created Joseph. No one has ever seen God, says John. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Hebrews says, but of the Son, God says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Hebrews 1.10. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Speaking of Jesus. And Hebrews 1.3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So the answer is not this the carpenter's son. The answer to it is no. It's not. Jesus was truly man. True man of man. But not Merely man. The Bible tells us that the word became flesh. And that word became assumes pre-existence. That he was true God of God from all eternity past. Since he was with God in the beginning. And everything that was made was made through him. He was with God. In the writer of, of, of Philippians, Paul says that he left. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself that he came and became in the form of a man. That he became flesh. It is not the subtraction of his deity. Jesus has not ceased to be God. But he has become Man, he has an additional nature to his divine nature. He is one person with two natures that are neither confused. They are not composited. They are not mixed. He is true God of God, true man of man in one person. You say, that's confusing. I say, if you want to spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how that is, be my guest, you'll go insane. But if you don't accept it, you don't know Christ. What did God say? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Is not this the carpenter's son? No. Jesus is true man, but he is not merely man. 
He is true God, true man, one person. But then they ask, is not, is not his mother Mary? It's a very interesting question. The people of Jesus' hometown know his humble mother. They know that she's not successful by worldly standards. They know that she lives in a very basic, bare-nothing home. That she does the basic, bare-nothing things that the people of Nazareth do. That the father is Joseph. There's nothing special in this physical family. They're not impressive by worldly standards. They're not rich. And by the way, if you know anything about Mary's past, I heard that she got pregnant before they were married. Is not Mary his mother? They're not saying anything special about her there. They're saying something rather incriminating about Jesus. It's just Mary, you know. You really, you really think that God, that God put his son in her? <laughs> that doesn't happen. We know how that happened. Tab A, slot B, and you've got a baby. We know. This is Mary's son. And nothing, nothing special. Good Jewish boys were expected to follow their father's trade and to live with and for their families the rest of their lives. And Jesus had brothers and sisters. Is this not James and uh, the brothers are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judah and not his sisters with us. I mean, he's just one of, the, one of the many brothers and sisters. By the way, even his own brother James, who wrote the book of James, who was the uh, counselor leader at the, the, the council in, in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, he is believed to be the early leader of the church. James, his very brother, did not believe until after the resurrection. His own brother doesn't believe him. Who is this crackpot? Not his mother Mary? He's supposed to be a carpenter. What's he doing in the synagogue? Build us a table. Go back to your family. But Jesus did not come to build tables he came to build his kingdom. He didn't come to be with his brothers and sisters of the flesh, but to make a church built upon his Holy Spirit that he sent into the world. Jesus was preaching one time, and there was a crowd of people around him, and somebody pesters him. I hate this, by the way. I'm not saying that I'm right with it, but I, I, I hate this. I hate when I'm teaching and talking and I'm really into something and somebody taps on my shoulder to tell me something I don't care about. I'm just saying I hate it. And if you've done that, I don't hate you. At that moment, what you were doing was incredibly obnoxious. I'm into this thought, man, and I'm talking. Hey, 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 hey. What? You left your lights on in your car. I don't care. We're, we're, I'm right at the whodunit. You ever seen pastors on YouTube or pastors in church where they're right in the middle of preaching and somebody does something stupid in the middle of the service and they get angry? I, I'm not going to do that. Well, I'm going to try not to do that, but I get it. So Jesus is preaching. This is, this is why he's come. He hasn't come to glorify, to just, to, just, to just do whatever he wants to do. He's come to do the will of his father. He even said, the will of the father is my food. It's what, I, it's what I'm here to consume. And the, somebody, I'm sure Jesus was like, tempted in every way, yet without sin. Yes. How may I help you? Uh, your mom and your brothers and your sisters are outside. Oh. Have you not been listening to anything I've said? It's not why I'm here for my brothers and sisters. Who are my brothers and sisters? You know who my brothers and sisters are? 
It's not those who are born of my mother Mary. It's those who are born of my Father God. By the Holy Spirit. Tell me about my family. I'm telling you that if you don't become a son and a daughter of God by trusting me, you are not going to escape God's wrath. Yes, his mother is Mary. But he's telling you that the only way to be saved is to be his brothers and sisters. And you're only his brothers and sisters if you do what he commands. Where then did this man get all these things? In the first sense, the emphasis is man because they don't understand. And in this one, I, I wanted to emphasize the word this. It's the same question that they ask at the beginning of the passage. And now they're asking again. It's bookended. Same question. But I want to emphasize this word. This man. In other words... <laughs> If there's really a Messiah, it ain't this man. He's the son of a carpenter. He is the son of probably an immoral woman. He is the brother of those know-nothing boys. You know, this happens. Don't ask me how I know, because you don't want the answer. But it happens that when you grow up in a place... The sins of your family follow you around so that you get blamed for what they did. You know, your father did X, Y, and Z. I'm not him. He's a great man. He's my mentor. I love him. Jesus is going to say to them, you know, a prophet is not without honor in his own home. In other words, the one place where he should have honor should be in his home. But these people are saying of him, you're, you're just that man. You're Mary and Joseph's boy. You're James and Simon and Judas' brother. You're, you're, you're nobody. Where did this man Get all these things. Because no matter what you may think about his earthly origins, you still have to come to reckon with this issue. This man still does something magnificent. Where did he get all these things? This is not a question of inquiry, but an accusation deduced from their logic. No carpenter's son, no son of an immoral woman could ever teach what Jesus taught or do what Jesus did. By the way, I don't believe Mary was immoral. They did. So something, according to them, is a foul. Jesus is perhaps doing this by the devil's hand, whatever his uh, amazing deeds are. He's doing it by sleight of hand. Maybe he's a, a, a master magician. How could any carpenter's son teach what Jesus taught? Where did all these things come from? Mark 14, 61, 62. Jesus is being interrogated. And he's asked by the high priest, who are you? Trying to find out who he is. So by the way, it wasn't just the people of Nazareth who didn't want to be around Jesus. It was the whole world. And he stands here and the high priest is asking him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? They don't want the answer. That question is what high priest and what high officials and what kings would give to people as a last chance to recant their faith before they pronounced judgment on them. It is not a question of inquiry. They are not, the high priest is not looking for an answer. 
He says, are you the Christ? The son of the blessed, the son of God? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the Bible tells us that the high priest tore his robe. And he said, how can anyone now, in the line of what he just said, not put this man to death for blasphemy? You know, the people back in his hometown had no power not to put him to death. But here, in front of the Sanhedrin, in front of the high priest, now Jesus, when he proclaims the truth about who he is, when he tells them the message, he's rejected. Jesus says a lot of things in that passage. He says, makes reference to the Son of Man. That's Jesus' favorite self-appellation. It's, it's Jesus' favorite name for himself, Son of Man. What does it mean? It references a prophecy in Daniel 7, 13 and 14. It says this, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven. Now, remember what I told you about clouds, right? Who comes in clouds? God. Remember the cloud that was overshadowing the tabernacle, the cloud from which God spoke on the Mount of Transfiguration? Behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like, like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. If you're looking at your Bible, you'll notice that the name Ancient of Days is, in, is capitalized because it is a proper name for God. He's coming before God. Who is this character that he would come before the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and in languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. I want you to get this scene in your mind. Here comes one like the Son of Man before the throne of God and the God of all glory. There is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make graven images for God does not dwell in graven images. And here comes a character in the clouds. That's God's means of transportation. And God gives him glory. How? How can God give anything of his glory to someone other than himself? He's not. He's giving the glory of God the Father to God the Son. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this whole world is his. In Revelation 19, 11 through 16, it says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on, its, on it is called Faithful and True, capitalized, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. You know, for the, everybody who says Jesus is the, the man of love, like he's a hippie, Oh, everything's love, bro. Come on, man. Hop in my van. It's all love, dude. Whatever. Free love, bro. 
Jesus comes to make war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. Those are crowns. Why? Because he's the king of kings. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. The same man who wrote John 1.1, who says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh, is the same John who wrote Revelation. That means God. He, which he is called the word of God, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. That means they're coming and they're coming to put an end to unrighteousness in their righteousness were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them, have dominion, with a rod of iron, perfect justice. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on this thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Some of you today are sitting there saying, isn't Jesus just a carpenter's son? Wasn't he just a man? Great man. Moral teacher. Teacher of philosophy, politician, started the greatest organization ever in the world called the church. Bible tells us he was true God of God. Became flesh, dwelt among us, died on the cross for yours and my sins, past, present, and future. And that if we believe the message, the true message of the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will have life. This morning is just another moment of God's grace upon you. God is giving you another chance to turn away from your sins and to acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who died for your sins, rose from the grave, intercedes right now, as we sung this morning, living, he is living God, he is living interceder on your behalf before the Father and who will come again to judge the world. And those that do not believe on his name, the Bible says that he cast off into the lake of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You don't have to fear that though. Today I don't fear it. If you believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have no fear in the coming of Jesus. Say amen. Amen. You can't say amen. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where I'm calling you, the Lord is calling you through my voice to come and to repent of your sins and to make Jesus your Lord. You don't have to fear that day. You can rejoice when he comes. If you will trust in your heart this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And receive him as your only savior. There will be right now no condemnation. For you will be in Christ Jesus. Will you accept the testimony of the gospel of God's son this morning? And to begin to walk as his disciple? Tara, if you would come this morning. I want to give two stanzas. If everyone would stand... I want to give two stanzas and give you an opportunity 
to come down front and speak with me this morning. I want to make something clear as we do this. First off, I want to make it clear that this moment isn't what saves you. Okay, I want, I want you to understand that the Bible, and we read today the same thing as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2, if you hold fast to the message. Some of you came down an aisle years ago, but you have not been holding fast to the message. I heard a famous wrestler tell me and my father one night that he was saved when he was a young man. He's born again. But his life did not bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, I'm not saying that he's not saved. I, I don't know. That, that's between him and God. But a one-time decision is not what Jesus is coming, called you for. He is saying, be my disciples. Learn from me now. Every day until the grave gives you release. Hope in me and in this gospel. Be with me and my people. In my word and in my church. But this is still an opportunity for you to come. I want to give you that opportunity as Tara plays two stanzas to come to begin right now the moment of your walk with Jesus Christ to be his disciple from this moment forward. Christian, pray that the Lord break that heart of stone, give that person a heart of flesh that they might come and receive the message of Jesus Christ. This is an opportunity for you to confess to all of us here that we're not going to judge you. If you come forward, no one's going to judge you. We're going to weep and rejoice that you are joining our family to be our brother and our sister in Christ. We've all come down this aisle. We want you to join us. Call him father. Call Christ brother. Call us your brothers and sisters. I know. I said last week while Tara's playing. I said last week. I know there's someone in here this morning who needs to come. And right after the service, that person came. And right here at the table, he received Christ to be his Savior. This is an opportunity to, for you to declare to this church, this body of believers, that you join us in confessing Jesus before the Lord. If you deny me before men, says Jesus, I will deny you before my Father which is in heaven. But if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. Father, I know today that there are people in this very church who have not yet accepted Christ. Holy Spirit, work on them. You will get every one of your sheep. All that the Father has given me will come to me. There is a person today, there are many persons in this church house today who are telling you no. I hand them over, Lord, to Satan. That their bodies 
might be broken and that their soul might be saved. If they think, if they, your sheep, think that they will get away from the loving hand of the shepherd, do what you must to bring them to their knees to call upon the name of the Lord. It is better, Lord, that we lose a part of our body in this life than that our whole body be cast off into hell. There are people here today. I saw those faces. I saw them. Father, you know the very, you know the very people I looked at this morning. Father, I saw the head shaking no. Break that heart and let the heart say, yes, I will make you Lord. It is my prayer that you, Holy Spirit, will bring them to repentance and to faith in Jesus. Lord, be with our church. Let us glorify you in all we do. Bring us back here next week. Let us this week love you more, love your church more. Thank you for the salvation you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.